Welcome back to the second episode this week of the DP World Tour Picks and Bets. Skylar Hoke is here, joined once again by Tom Jacobs. Tom, how are you today? Yeah, good. It's uh, it's nice to do a second one, Sky. Like I know, you know, we we have busy schedules, and and doing one is is definitely enough. But like sometimes when you know the opportunity presents itself, it's nice to do a second show. Um, some really nice feedback from from people on on the app formerly known as Twitter and uh, the YouTube comments, right? So uh, always appreciate those. They do get read, they do get seen, even if we don't necessarily respond straight away. So um, thank you for those that have sent messages in and. Look, like this is this is a great week. It's what is it? I read that there's six players in total that can get that final European points list spot, um, which we'll go through as we talk through this. But um, yeah, look, there's, there's probably two guys playing for a pick, and, and then there's other six guys that are playing for that final spot. Um, so there's definitely a lot on the line, more so than normal um, at Crown Circea, and it's always been an awesome event. So I'm really excited for this uh, DraftKings breakdown of the event. Yeah. If you uh, heard us yesterday, if you have not yet, we did a full betting preview of our cards walking through um, that side of it like we do every single Monday. You can find that up on the Mayo Media Network YouTube. You can also find us available on any of the podcast platforms, Daily Fantasy Sports, Picks and Bets, The Mix, uh, like Tom echoed there. Just just love the support, especially on a big week like this. It's um, you know awesome. We get a ton of eyeballs um, and not sure how many opportunities we're going to get with this level of contest, too. So um, you know, like we mentioned, 100K to first place uh, for the $25 flagship one. There's another 20K to first place in the 555. Those are the two flagships that, that DraftKings gets every single week for the PGA Tour. And we're now getting that on the DP World Tour side. And there's a chance to continue over to the Irish next week uh, with the PGA Tour off still for another one. Um, but Let's just dive right in. I think it's a worthy discussion. I think yesterday, you know, brought about guys that we are very interested in and think their odds might be different than what we anticipated or, or worth selecting. But the the lingering thing that we do almost every single week is, is skip the guy at the top of the leaderboard. So yeah. is Matthew Fitzpatrick a clear class above everyone else like he is when it comes to the odds boards, right? Like that is a clear separation but what is different this week is he's only $10,900. Right below him, $200 cheaper is, is Aberg, Maroc 10-4, Hoygaard 10-1. It, it really seems that Fitzpatrick is not correctly priced when looking at it just, just from a straight odds board comparison. Yeah, like it looks like you've got an opportunity to play Fitzpatrick if you want to. And I like that. I think it, it brings into a lot of builds. I think you're going to get a decently owned Matt Fitzpatrick here for good reason. You know, two wins in a second. Um, look, if you'd have asked me about Matt Fitzpatrick before the BMW Championship, I'd have said he was broken. I'd have said to you that I was kind of concerned that he was going to be on the, the Ryder Cup team, despite the fact that he definitely deserves to be on there. Um, it, I guess with, with Fitzpatrick, you just got to wonder how how he's going to go and get it done. Is he going to be the guy that, that you know creates a ton of birdies, or is he going to be steady throughout each round and, and play his way through there? I mean, there's so many different ways to get to the scores that you require here. Is he going to be volatile and then make the, the eagles and birdies that you need? This is the first time... I guess, Sky, that he's played here since adding his distance, right? Like, I don't remember him playing. He's not played for two years, so that would suggest that he didn't really have the distance. The last time he played here, he, he finished 69th, but I don't remember him being in a ton of form coming in. So, you know, going for a three-peat is pretty tough anyway. So I, I think that there is an opportunity with Fitzpatrick that you've got a guy that knows the golf course, 
is in a spot where he doesn't need to do anything to get in the Ryder Cup team. Like he knows his pick is pretty much guaranteed, but I think he needs to do something to prove that he should play more. Like if he doesn't find form between now and, and Wentworth, I think I could see him being left out. And look, he, well, he finished second at the BMW and then ninth at the Tour Championship. That could be enough. Um, but I think he'll look to take advantage of the course form that he's got. Yeah, I, I agree. I just all set aside, right? We have guys that are fighting for a Ryder Cup spot. There's, it's never been in question. Most and, you know, Fitz, yeah. Fitz could totally, uh, he, could, he could pass Fleetwood um, on the points side of things for the world points, but he's locked up. There's never been a question, right? Um, if this is Fleetwood, and again, it's a different question, but at 10-9, absolute no-brainer. I just don't think there's enough separation. I mean, these guys are double the odds board. You know, and, and I think you're exactly right. He is going to be the first click for probably at least a third of the field this week. Now, a lot of us are are um, flying without ownership projections this week, too. So we can kind of talk about who we think are going to congregate um, around the ownership. And Fitzy seems like an obvious first click versus the speculative type of guys that are just below him, even though they are top class in this so, field. So my my um, evaluation of this, so let's, let's just list them off, right? So Matt Fitzpatrick, 10-9, Ludwig Aberg, 10-7, Adrian Rock, 10-4, and Nikolai Hoygaard, 10-1. I think only Nikolai Hoygaard presents enough of a discount to really, like, question whether it's the best pick at the top. Like, I, like I understand the Ludwig Aberg angle. I do get that he's, you know, potentially playing the best of everyone on a consistent basis. He's the most exciting. He's got a lot to play for. That, with that all in mind, like he's actually got, he's partnered with both Nicholas Colsart uh, and Eduardo Molinari for the first two rounds. Like they are very much saying, like, play well and you will be on the Ryder Cup because all the other guys are playing with each other. So he has got the ultimate. He must have been told, like, if you play well this week, you're in. There must be something there. And I still just wonder that, plus the fact you're negating his biggest strength by taking away the absolute need to hit drivers. Now, again, we had this discussion yesterday, Sky, on the better channel. I won't go on too much into it again. But, like, just because you are long and hit the driver well doesn't mean you're not going to play well here. But the, the, the need to hit it, the need to hit it far is not there. Like, the, the par fives can be reached by most players. The par fours that you can drive would generally be driven by most players. Um, the others, people wouldn't attempt it. So... If we say that, does that does that also apply to Moronk and Hoygaard is the question, I guess. It's hard because that, that was the one take that I kind of had to myself after thinking through the Ludwig versus um, Moronk discussion on the final final spot. Yeah. And I mean, Moronk is a pretty world class driver, too. Yeah. Like that. Data golf has both of those guys. I mean, Aberg already in the top 10. Moronk just outside of it in the world from a driving perspective. So if you think through that, I mean, yeah, it would apply to both those guys. So, but I, I think the, I mean, I don't want to say, you know, to completely just jump into the, the K, the, the nine Ks, but you made a very compelling case for Alexander Bjork. He's likely to be clicked by many and it comes to a benefit at this type of course. And for those that didn't listen yesterday um, and just listened to the DFS preview, this course is a tighter at elevation trees on their elevated green, something that, that the, Something that cannot be overpowered, um, I, I think, is a safe way to say it. But distance doesn't necessarily rule out um, or become a benefit. But it is not what we saw last week on the DP World Tour, which was with bombs away or potentially what you see every week on, on the um, PGA Tour. Right. This is more of a 
classical test than the traditional test. Yeah, I agree. And and I think, like you say, like I think it can be overpowered to an extent. Like I do think you can go 6162 by just driving it perfectly. I just think it's very hard to do. Like I think you need to gain strokes off the tee, but you need to do it with a blend of both. And that's why I like, like for example, like Rosner last week, I thought he he was the type of person that wasn't going to be absolutely bombs away, but long enough and straight enough to birth that real unique blend. And I think that's what's going to work here this week. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely. Um see something similar to that overall um yeah i i i can imagine there's nobody that i i would be ruling out of those four if i'm playing a handful of lineups which i intend to there's nobody that i'm immediately crossing out um in that category for for me i guess is there anybody that you would be no i don't think maybe moronk like i think he would be the one um because i just I feel like ever since the pressure's really been cranked up to make this Ryder Cup team, he has faltered a little bit. And I don't know if it's just coincidental, whether he is like he's put so much stock into it that he's kind of worried. I mean, look, what have we got? He had third at the BMW International Open, 15th at the British Masters, where to be honest, he played pretty poorly. That was a that was a backdoor 15th. I remember being on him that week. Then he misses a cut as a Scottish. 23rd at the Open was obviously great, but a lot of it was just that strong final round. And then he just kind of blows away over the weekend last week. So that coupled with the fact that he's never necessarily suggested he can tear his course apart, um, I, I think that he could potentially be the one to leave. I wonder with you, Sky, like, do you think you can play two of them? I do. I, I always like that strategy yeah. to, to little stars and scrubs, and I, and I bet it will not be near as common as it might be on a PGA Tour well, week. Because, just... sorry, you go. And then I'll... I was just going to say just the unfamiliarity that a lot of people have with these guys in the 6Ks, right? There's multiple people on my betting card that are down there. I mean, you know, Haber, who we talked about yesterday, and we can get to, you know, he's 6,300. Gondas is 6,200, right? I am okay taking on the risk, especially when I think, you know, the disparity and talent sometimes from some of these guys isn't as wide as the margins may make it to be. Um, so I am more than okay doing that. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Like, it, it's not like you're playing, um, I don't know, Bo Van Pelt versus Scotty Scheffler in the same, or with, with Scotty Scheffler in the same lineup, right? Like, I, I've just made one here while we were talking with the lowest guy in at 6 7 that allows me to pick Aberg, Fitzpatrick, and one of my picks in Eduardo Molinari from the betting show yesterday, and a former course winner, and then two guys in the mid sixes. You can get even more sort of, you know, wild, like you said, and go with the kind of 6-3, guys, and they're definitely out there. And that way you can get a kind of another third guy in that makes you feel comfortable, right? I think it's just one of those things where I do think we've seen the Soderbergs and we've seen the, the Thriston Lawrence's win in recent years to suggest that someone of that kind of ilk can win, and they're going to be available in the low seven. So, um, yeah, I do think there's a strategy where, and, and if, there were, if there was two, I think it would probably be Fitz and Aberg for me, because I think, one Aber has got all the pressure on him and is trending obviously towards a Vim very obviously. Um, and I think Fitz just wants to to find that win and it's got a course form. Yep. Yep. I can totally um, align with you there. We brought up the discussion of, of Alexander Bjork at 9.9 K, yep. which I think will be very, very popular this week and rightly so. Um, but where I want to jump to in the nine Ks, right? So I guess we have, we have eight golfers there. Bjork. Bob McIntyre, Matt Wallace, Rosner, Jordan Smith, Rasmus Hoygaard, Yannick Paul, Adrian Dumont de Chassart. I, I think I would argue that Dumont de Chassart, to me, might be the 
the most mispriced player in the field overall. And and that might be second to what we just discussed about Fitzpatrick being, you know, maybe not as high as he should be, but I just think it's overreaction by one miscut last week of what we've seen. Not that there aren't incredibly talented golfers right in this range, you know, rider cuppers that are in here, but man, I, I think Dumont de Chassard is just as good as almost every one of these guys in this range and why he's on my betting card this week, why he fits a course like this, because his irons and his scrambling and his putting is the best parts versus the driving side of it. So I'm okay him being, you know, a, a really overexposed guy in my lineups this week overall. Um, and I think we're going to, I don't know, it's, it's going to be interesting what drives ownership this week, um, because if you just look across betting cards, the guys like Bjork, Guys like Matt Wallace, Antoine Rosner are all a little bit more frequented on a betting card this week. But I, I think from a DraftKings salary standpoint, they, they just might be priced up a little bit higher or just not as much of a value as getting up to guys in the 10Ks. And look, I, I just think you you said, obviously, that you think DeMond Deschassart is the most mispriced. I think it's probably Matt Wallace. Okay. Like, I, I think we're talking about overreactions to a miscut. I think there's an overreaction to a second last week. And I get that he was second here last year, but that was an outlier as well. Like he's he's 70, 70th, 51st miscut in his first three starts here, then finished the second. And his performance last week was an outlier of his current form, which is 65th miscut, 48th miscut, 78th, 42nd miscut, 43rd, 45th. Like there's this there's this overriding feeling with someone like Matt Wallace that every time they come back to the DP World Tour, they're going to perform. And I don't know that we necessarily have that you know, to, to kind of pin our flag to. So as much as I do absolutely understand that he could go well, and look, when you look at it, he's gone 43rd, 45th, second. Like, it's not like he's been missing cuts every week. But, you know, we saw him in the Corrales. He finished 28th for the Valera, and then all of a sudden he rattles, rattles off three missed cuts. Um, you know, he is a very volatile golfer. He finished second in this event last year, coming off a missed cut at the Wyndham, and then missed, missed two cuts at Maiden Himalayan and Wentworth, where he would have been popular for both because he would have had good finishes at both, um, including, I think, a win at Maiden Himalayan. So I think he's the one, for me, I'd be way more interested in terms of a bet than I would be um, in DraftKings, and I'm not interested in the bet. So that should tell you what I think about him in DraftKings. Hey, I, I couldn't agree more. I thought you were going to go the other way there, talking into him, and I, I absolutely agree. Because <laughs> no. in, in my opinion, I guess, you know, not even dipping into the eights, but I think it's hard for us to not think Justin Suh had a better PGA Tour year than he did. He did, yeah, absolutely. Even right, right. He won, right? Like he won a what small field event that didn't even get him to the playoffs. Um, he won the Corrales. I think his performance at the Valspar was way more impressive, probably than his win. Maybe that's biased because I didn't see much of his win. Like it was the Corrales, but after that he just did nothing, and that is kind of Matt Wallace in a nutshell. And I think. When you think back to like he won three times in a season, didn't get on a Ryder Cup team. I think that's probably what the team were thinking. Like he, this doesn't necessarily indicate as much as you think it does. And he's just not that player that, that has been able to ever wrestle off anything. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's mental. I don't know if it's, is he slightly limited as a golfer? Like, I don't know. What, like, what do we pin our hopes to with Matt Wallace? Do we expect him to be this elite driver of the golf ball? Is he great short game? Like I never look at Matt Wallace and go, his irons are flashing. Let's bet him. Because, yeah, I mean, he, like, even with his eighth last week in straight scan approach, he's the 71st best golfer in terms of approach over the last eight, uh, over the last 15 weeks. 
-hmm. And I know that's against tougher competition. I understand that, but this is all kind of relative to the field. Um, so I think I would definitely be way more interested in, you know, pivoting to whoever's a low ownership in this range. I think you're right. I don't think there's a much of a difference between any of these players. McIntyre's got so much to play for. Yannick Paul has got the motivation to get into the team. I'd probably much rather go to Paul and DeMont Deschassart than I would uh, Wallace and McIntyre. Yeah, I, I think to me, Yannick makes a lot of sense in this type of, of format here. I mean, he's had a relatively, you know, his last miscut on the DP World Tour is back in February, right? A lot of safety, multiple top tens in his last five starts. Um, and probably overlooked relative to the other guys. My, he's just I'm, not special, like he's not the type of person that turns up at the open like Robert McIntyre does. So people don't really think of him. And and I get that. Like, and this is where you can have an edge. Like, and I'm not saying if you listen to the show, you're gonna have an edge. But like, where we talk about these guys that people are unfamiliar with, this is where you can win because people are gonna typically go right. Well, I know who Robert McIntyre is. I've heard about Robert, uh, Alexander Bjork because he played well at Scottish Open for a period of time. He's been playing well all season. I've kind of heard the name Anton Rosner. Jordan Smith's played in a few majors. The Hoygaard twins are well known. And then you've got these kind of, you know, other guys that we're talking about here with, you know, I don't know, Lane Gask or, or whoever, like, as we go on further down. So there's definitely an edge on name value only. And Yannick Paul, I think, is one of those. Yep, I, I agree. And and that's where I'm a little stuck. Um, like Jordan Smith. I guess to me overall, I, I don't think there is much separation in a lot of these guys um, right here. And it's why they're priced so tightly. And I would probably lean into expected ownership um, or projected ownership if you're making your own. Um, the only caveat with Jordan Smith is, is there carryover because he was popular the last time we had a discussion about him at the Open Championship, right? He made the cut. He hit the ball well. Hasn't you know, really done much poorly in the last two months in June and July. Uh, hasn't played since the Open Championship. Um, I don't know. Like, is there any interest in, in Smith this week? Like, I like him more than Rasmus uh, to me, even though Rasmus is a winner here. Yeah, I think I like him more than Rasmus just because I think people will look at well, Rasmus has won at the golf course. He's won recently made in Himalayan. And he's a name that people know. I think just purely on ownership, I think that, that Smith wins there. I think he'll be lower owned. And we don't know how Smith is going to react to that run. To your point, he hasn't played since the Open Championship. And what, is he, what did he rattle off? Like six straight made cuts. He was sixth at the European Open where he was the 54-hole leader. Probably should have done better. 20th at the US Open with the final round 66. Like we talk about these people that have kind of been playing well and then had breaks. And they do tend to, to come out and, and play really well. So... Um, I I think Smith has a it's tough because I would say Smith has a, a higher floor, but he's missed two cuts at this golf course, and I don't know necessarily whether that's a course fit thing or just because he's a, he's a, he is a good driver at the golf ball, and that's how he he gets around right. Um, but he can also get like you know red hot with his approaches. I'm just going to look at kind of his form coming into that event both times um, to see if there's anything in there. But like, yeah, I, I think Smith is a safer DP World Tour player than most. Yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to like not gloss over Rosner either, right? Somebody you've been super keen on. Rosner, yeah. Like, I mean, he hasn't missed a cut in since March, right? Yeah, March. Um, steady, open championship, you know, really, really strong. 
Trick Masters, good here, like a lot of boxes checked for for Raz. Because I, I guess Matt Wallace is the first one that I come to that, and Rasmus for me overall that I'm like, just I, I don't see myself landing there really even in abundance of lineups, um, making some stands on that end. Yeah, so just just to quickly circle back, and I agree with everything you just said, by the way. Uh, with um, I love Rosner a lot, and it's going to be down to ownership as to whether to play him or not. But going back to the Smith conversation, coming into this event, um, he was in poor form. He was, he was absolutely terrible. Missed the cut of the Irish Open, Scottish Open, Scandinavian Invitation, all three events coming into the week. He was still hitting his irons well, um, hit his irons well this week and missed the cut because his putter was terrible. He was he was losing two strokes per round um, with his putter. And the, the the time before that, he'd won the Porsche European Open, finished ninth at the PGA Championship, then, you know, came into this after a 60th at the Czech Masters. I would argue there that he was probably, you know, just far more volatile at that point. It was his first win. Uh, he played well in the major. Like, it was pretty tough. So I actually think, looking more into this, um, Jordan Smith is a really good pick with Rosner and I don't think I think there's probably an avenue where instead of taking two of the top very top guys you could go Bjork Rosner and Smith and figure something else out along the way I mean and Dumonte Chassart right like I think I think you can really you could make a good balanced lineup this way too Um, and I don't know I really I'm hard-pressed to think people would begin their lineups with Bjork this week I mean I could see I guess Bjork I'd be hard-pressed to see somebody start a lineup with Rosner or Smith and you could go Rosner Smith Dumonte Chassar easily, you know. Yeah, that leaves you um, mid sevens, which we're going to live in, I think, as we go along in this conversation. Yeah, yeah. I think the eight Ks here is when um, questions begin to really be asked about a good amount of guys. Um, and it's, I guess, it's hard. I think overall, like if you're if you're grading out players, if you're looking at value based type of things, like where. I think there's just going to be so much fear in the six Ks. The more that I think through this week, like I think it's just going to be genuine fear or numbers that people are are like overwhelmed by trying to click down there. So understandably as well, like like completely makes sense. And look, I I think even though we know these DP World Tour players really well and and better than some, like we would or I would probably as a building up a lineup would try and avoid it because I just think it's so hard to pin yourself but you you find so often you're so high on these kind of 8k guys like a Victor Perez and Olsen or whatever and Lane Gask and it just doesn't work so I think for me um you've got two approaches here you either go with the talent that you know in Justin Sir and Victor Perez who I think are the two most talented in this range I think is pretty fair I'd, I'd always argue all of them because I, I tend to but um or do you go with the Fitzpatrick who I think is just so obviously the most informed player and the one that that can really you can go yeah I can see his path to victory which I can or you try and get a little bit weird and go right well Langask has consistently been a good golfer on the DP World Tour he's got a seventh place finish here Nicholas Norgar Moller is not going to be necessarily popular as he was last week because his driving is negated, but he's also got a 61 at his golf course. So I think there's there's opportunities in this 8K range, but also not a direct need to go there and take the risk. What what happened last week to to Lang or two weeks ago? Like that was one that was probably his worst performance of the year, yeah. um, which was you know tough in that type of event. Um, 
but I think he, I think Fitzpatrick remains. Like for me, I, I am so keen on him. He was my first, one of the first clicks that really caught my eye overall. Um, and I, I don't want to ignore. And hopefully, even though he's trendy in our neck of the woods, yeah. he, you're, you're putting him next to what was one of the best college players five years ago, right? Um, Justin Suck coming out with that class, pretty recognizable name. I. I mean, I made the comparison to Matt Wallace to to Sa, but like even so, I, I don't, I, I don't like it really for him either this week. There's nothing that I'm feeling. If I liked it, I would have bet him because his numbers are fine too from the outlier yeah. perspective. Yeah, right? yeah. I, I, like, think, I think there's one of these things with, with Justin Sa. The only nagging thing in the back of my head because there is like like you said, there's nothing that I can point to where I go, this is why you should bet Justin Sa this week, other than. We always see these PJ Tour players come over that play consistently well on the PJ Tour, then just drop down a grade, and that is what it is, and contend. Yeah. And there's no reason to think that he's the one that can't. I, I think rather than taking that risk at 8-8, eight, eight, though, I'd rather take the risk of the anti-course fit, I think, in, in Norgard Moller, who was going to be popular last week because he's this electric driver of the golf ball. He's been in good form. It plays to his strengths. But he comes back here a year after finishing 29th at the golf course. Um, and he shot a 61 in round two and a 66 on Sunday. Um, so, you know, it's all ifs, buts and maybes. But if he doesn't open for 75, um, what happens? Now, if he doesn't open for 75, he probably doesn't shoot at 61. It's all a domino effect. But um, it just shows that if he's confident, if he's in form, what Moller can do to the course. So... I think for me, the two picks I like in this range are Fitzpatrick and Moller. Yeah, um, I'm still going to stick strongly on Nathan Kimsey, who we talked in depth yep. yesterday. Comes over, playoff loss in the Barbasol. Solid form overall, leading to a course that should play to his strengths. Um, I think Moller is interesting uh, to, to that degree. I didn't see myself. Um, I, I think Lane Goss would be the one that I would just write off the ISPS Honda. Been very, very good from a ball striking standpoint. I, I I don't know, Thor, I would just so much rather, I mean, a lot of these guys, I would rather play Dumont de Chassar over just to yeah. get to, and, right? And with Olison, Yannick. Yeah, with Olison, I'm like his biggest advocate. Like I've, I've yeah. always been the big defender of Olison, who's kind of gone missing yeah. for off-the-course issues, right? But I, I, for some reason, I can't find anything about him this week. And look, it was the same kind of last week. I didn't really like him and... You know, he finished 11th, but he's 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 not one of those guys that people are going to go, look, it's Thor, you know, I know who that is. Let's click him. He's in the 8K range just below Yannick Paul and Deschassar, who I don't want to pick. Like, that's that's where I think the mentality goes. I don't like Laos and I don't like Itaiki. Um, so I would pretty pretty comfortable ruling them out. I guess Lauten is... Yeah, I don't mind used. He's just been yeah, so good with approach. Yeah, like, I guess Lauten would be the one because... He probably does offer that chip, floor. Though. Like he's what is he? He's made his last six cuts at the course and he's playing really well. But yeah, I don't think he wins. So it depends what you're playing Yosemite for. Like you playing as a solid guy that gets you a top fifteen. I'd probably rather go with the upside of someone I think can fire that low round. I think you're like your Nathan Kimsey thing, like if you think he can genuinely win, why are you paying five hundred dollars more for Yosemite? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's um, very fair. Uh, Ken Holt and Ferguson, the other two we haven't really mentioned in there. Um, I just can't. I just can't get a read on Ken Holt. I don't. 
He had a, I don't mind him, man. I mean, 12th last week, 20th, 14th at the two PGA Tour events. Grateful. Like, it, it's, it's impossible to argue that he's in really solid form and he's never missed a cut hit. Like, he's five for five. I just, what is the upside of a Marcus Kinholt? Like, we, we always consider him to be this guy that can break through and win. And I know that he did well on some mini tour stuff coming back from his kind of injuries and I think he had epilepsy and things like that. Like he's had, he's had some horrific challenges in his life already uh, as a professional golfer. Um, I think he's solid without being spectacular this week. And, and that might be enough at 8,100. You know, I mean, RB's got, RB's got his upside, you know, bear off at, at winning this week. So, yep. uh, right. I think, I think he's somebody I would trust a little bit more potentially than Ferguson for, for me. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, that. Okay. So, seven Ks. Um, now there's a load of golfers in the seven Ks um, overall here. So we're not going to read through every single one of them. Um, as we start, I guess if we segregate it out a little bit into the top section versus the low section, betting card guys that, again, we really encourage you to listen because a lot of it carries over from yesterday into today and we won't go as in depth into every single player, but Histatune 7700, Eduardo Molinari 7600, I think just carry over exactly what we discussed yesterday. Of course, fits of trending form of guys, you know, Molinari's putting's coming around. Histatune is a very good short game player. I think they fit the bill really well this week. Um, if we look at other golfers, um, I guess above 7500, Guido, of course, will be finding himself in you know, a good, good chunk of lineups on my end as I, as I like his chances again this week. Um, for those that we haven't bet, so that's a Padre Harrington, a Campillo, uh, Heli Kilda, uh, anybody uh, or else, I guess, 7,600 um, or above that you will be clicking? Uh, I like Marcel Seam. Okay. I, th- I think he's a guy that, I think he's Yost Lauten at $700 cheaper. So. Yeah. I think that's the you, same guy. You made that point at the Open Championship. You literally made that exact parallel. And what did he do? He played well at the Open yeah. for yeah. a good chunk of that time period. And you look at his last two course efforts, and this kind of tallies up with the kind of return to form in recent years. 7th and 16th at this golf course. He's got 12th and 14th in the past. He's probably going back even beyond the 15 years that I've got in front of me. Um, so Marcel Seam, I think, offers a little bit of safety at 7,800. Um, and I also think, you know, I mentioned Henny Duplessis on the betting show yesterday without betting him. I think he would be the other guy. Like, he, he you know, shows that he can play well in South Africa. There seems to be a decent crossover of South Africans and and, and people that perform well at Crans. He was 16th in his debut last year, 66 and 64. Um, good around the green. I, I, I think Henny Duplessis, I think he had that little interruption where he kind of went to live and didn't, didn't stick it out. Like, I think now he's kind of, dedicates himself back to the tour he's playing pretty well yeah uh, kind of a trendy sleeper or long shot this week overall with especially his driving being so well um i was looking at the campillo um he was on uh, our friend craig thompson's podcast um a few weeks back kind of preview and, and had a discussion a little bit about crayons as he's had a, a renaissance the last couple of years here um and turning around his attitude and play at this event and um, we've seen some good finishes um, from him then and I still can't be clicking it versus the other guys that are around here I think seam would be my guy I, I I don't mind Southgate either though he's coming similar to the discussion of what we had of like Jordan Smith coming off of form leading in very popular at the open championship played well above the expectations that I had for him that week 
10th place at the ISPS Honda. Feels a little under, I don't know, under discussed this week. Maybe just people just know not to bet him overall and to play him. So I'm curious if he gets clicked a lot uh, this week. Yeah, I think with Southgate, I think it's one of those ones. He's another one that people just think, oh, he's a Lynx player. And if he's not playing Lynx, I'm not going to bother. Right. And and that's not wrong true for a decent period of time. Like he definitely does up his game around Lynx. So that's not a question, but he is capable of playing well. He's done it twice here, 23rd and 30th, 65 and 66 bookend rounds last year. Uh, really solid um, in his second start. I just never know what Southgate is. Like, I don't know. We, we know the upside yeah. isn't a win because he doesn't do it. Um, but I would probably take the chance on him over Campier because I think people will, will pin their hopes to Campier a little bit. I don't really get why Podrick Harrison is where he is. Like, he's not playing the way he was playing. Um, but look, I think between kind of Migliozzi, Molinari, Hitsatoon, Seam, like, I think we pretty much got his range covered. Yeah. Yep, I would agree. Um, low 7Ks as we dive in here. Um, I'm just going to ask you the question, Danny Willett or not Danny Willett? Well, I, I'm normally a Danny Willett in that That's situation. why I'm asking you. Yes. Um, and this is one of his courses. There's nothing. And, is, I mean, he's like terrible right like, now. That's the thing. Like, there is nothing that points to it. Like I, I will never forget the the Dunhill links like he's, yeah. he's he's always kind of given me that that thing right um and I don't know what it I mean he wasn't great before then either was he so there was one of those ones where I think I said that he was kind of just missing cuts and it was worth taking him in an event that he likes um similar I guess like he opened with a, a 70 at the Wyndham it wasn't exactly drastically bad he made the cut at the, at the Open he was pretty bad at the Scottish Open um yeah, I I don't know. Like, it's a good, like, bullet. Um, I think I'd probably yeah. rather go Pepperell. I, I would, too. Pepperell stands out. I mean, closed really, really well last week. Should fit this style much more than the previous. Um, hasn't had that much success here, but coming off of, you know, two good weeks. Um, and that's, I, I guess the question really becomes, and I encourage people, you know, in addition to, to listening to this when, when they're evaluating it, right? We're evaluating potentially short-term form on yep. a lower-tier tour in a not-premier-class field. I mean, you know, it's it's strong for what we get here, but not, you know, one of the best ones that we'll have is maybe don't get oversighted into a few blips on the radar. Somebody like Willett, who might, even though it's as bad as it is, long-term grade out, you know, better than some of these guys just because what we have, but... It's hard not to get sucked into what we saw out of Eddie the past two weeks. It's hard not to think about Chewbacca Sharmer at 7,200 after the last time we saw him was incredibly impressive at the Open Championship, where he really was just field average with a driver. He did everything else exceptional. Irons were unbelievable, but he hasn't had much else. I guess he's just like a random, you know, top 10 guy, top 20 guy that pops and a lot of miscuts in between. Um, but I know he's somebody that will probably get a few more clicks just because if you box score um, him, you're going to like what you see. Yeah, absolutely. No, I agree with all of that. Um, Sharma, just a guy that I think you trust to win at this level is, is one thing you would definitely say. So if you think you like him, I get it. I, I wonder, this is going to be an interesting one, a bit of a discussion. 
Daniel Hillier has won the Swiss challenge on the challenge tour. And the British was... Masters was treeline, right? So as much as we kind of see him as this potentially, you know, linksy type player that likes wide open courses, I think he's got it in his locker to play well this. Um Euro in Bank Open was Austria, right? So that's pretty close by. He's played well in the South African events, which always seems to kind of flag things. So I think, considering how high I was on him at the Scottish Open, the Open Championship, I think I've got to go back to him. Like, he might even he be was a the one I wanted to discuss. Yeah. Yes, I want to discuss because we did not talk to him yesterday. I think Hillier, if this was the week after the Open Championship, people yeah. would be forgiving of a miscut at a major yeah. championship, right? Or like, he was still really good at the Scottish from a ball striking standpoint, right? He just could not chip or putt. Yeah. And and we were talking about three top fives with a win in in four events, right? Everyone was all over him, and then all of a sudden he hasn't played in a month, missed a cut of the major, and he's seventy three hundred dollars. Absolutely, um, I think he's well worth the clicks this week. Um, we I bet Dan Bradbury last week. I think Bradbury did nothing but just stay solid continues to be a really good off the tee player Sunday wasn't as good as the previous couple of days but he's somebody that I do have a lot of just consistent faith in um, and he's getting pretty cheap here um, Zanotti arguably maybe he's just probably the best of the the bunch around the area when you zoom out on form you know he's got yeah, four last week too guy that you like he's finally showed his ball like last year it was like as long as he's great his ball striking he can't putt he's not going to win but play him and now he's finally i think back to that so i think that is the same approach i think zanotti will play well i don't think he's going to win so at this point he's a good price um just going slightly back to that daniel hillier thing like craig lee's got a runner-up at that swiss challenge and here i don't know if that's just one person is, is enough to kind of get too excited about it but it's enough reason to to maybe go for it i think yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Just trying to see if there's any more crossover here. Um, Ricardo Santos has been playing well, and he's he's won the Swiss Challenge, but it's been putting driven. Marcel Schneider and Heather Kilder are both people that have won the Swiss Challenge as well. I don't 7, think there's 7,400 and not yeah. either. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's necessarily too much to look at in that course. I mean, they're different courses for a start. Um, it says it's a Swiss Challenge, but it's basically France. So. Um, you know, there's not something to get too caught up on, but I think just overall, it's a reason for me to look at Hillier and just think, actually, look, he's that volatile person I think can win at 7,300. And I don't think there's yeah. many of them. I guess they've got the one guy he's next to is Soderberg, who could. <laughs> yep, who could and has uh, at this at this event, right? Um, $7,300 there. Gavin Green's found a lot of weekends at $7,400. Valamaki's at seventy-five after a, you know a great week last week. I skipped over Richard Manzo at $7,600, not because I want to play him, but he did just get married on Saturday, and both Ferguson and Seam were there at the wedding. So um, He's in. Like, put him in. And is Pablo getting too low here at this point? Man, is it just like blindly click Pablo, right? Like that that's probably I think he's where... always the argument is he's a better bet than he is the DraftKings play because he's so volatile, but um that's not necessarily a bad tactic in this range where he needs to get a little bit different. Um, no, I mean I mean this like is as top heavy of a week as we're gonna get on the DP World Tour ever. Mm-hmm. You're going to need a six of six that has upside in it. So 
I don't think you play for safety overall. Yeah, That's why I, think, I feel aggressive yeah. on six K guys. And I, I think Pablo fits that bill. Um, if you want to get turbo aggressive with somebody who can, who can win an event. Um, what, what about Sadie? He's 7,100. He, yeah. before missing the cut at the Barracuda, he finished 22nd at the European open where he's 12th going to the final round 31st at the BMW international open where he was fourth going into the weekend. He was 28th at the British Masters, where he was third after round one, 11th after round three, 35th at Himalayan with a 68-66 weekend, and third at the Barbasol on the BJ Tour. Then misses the cut last week on a course I don't necessarily think potentially suits him, and he's got a seventh place finish and a 25th place finish here. All of a sudden, kind of finding guys guys. that, yeah, like I was looking at Cockerell originally and people like that. Um, in this range, Carol Moore, like I think, going to be popular at seven one, but I think he might be the guy, Sadier. Yeah, I, I I can see Sadier being um, like a good click, like a I think a, yeah. a smart click. Um, I always love Scaper's talent. We can't talk through everybody. Uh, I would have a discussion about Nick Bakum, just due to what we saw last week at a time that, I mean, we. He discussed him, and I'm, you know, kicking myself for not getting an each way payout on that or a top yeah. ten with how long of odds he was, right? But um, does what he has as a skill in his bag show up now to this week? Because like he did have a stretch run of form, right? Like we saw that win coming. Yeah. Is this the sign of a resurgence to playing well again? I mean, he was fourth while losing strokes on the green last week right um i don't know he's got so much talent that i'm not sure if i can just throw him out because i don't see the course fit like it was last week well, i think this is the argument where i think you put him and norgo moller in the same lineup and just go yeah. look let's throw this through the um expected course fit out the window and put these two guys in put them with a you know will it um because he can definitely spike at any point um and put him in with those guys that that don't necessarily get the clicks, maybe put him in with Justin Sir. You can get really experimental with that lineup, I think. Um, you know, put Sir, Moller, Nick Backham in, and you've got really talented golfers um, that people are not going to play because they're the anti-course fit. You, you've gone from you, everyone was talking about drivers of the golf ball last week, and you had to, to everyone's talking about short irons and wedge guys that don't necessarily drive that long. But you don't have to focus on that. Like it's not like a long driver can't succeed it. So yeah. I think it's definitely we're going to see those ones where you go, ah, oh, well, I didn't play Backham because he drives it 350 yards. What a negative! Like it makes no yeah. sense really when you think about it. For sure. Um, last guy, John Catlin. Uh, I think you yep. made a very, very good argument of him. 7K flat, definitely um, in on uh, sprinkling him in lineups. Um, 6K. I don't, I don't want to talk about him because we haven't okay. really got time to go into him individually. Adrian House has, has fallen off a cliff, but he's got sixth and ninth place finishes here. Man, it's so bad. The only okay. thing that was promising was those last six holes of the PGA Championship. Which was when you were really excited about him. Like, yeah. And I just I just wonder, like, like, does someone like that eventually have to come good? Like, maybe it's just not. Maybe it's too much. But... He's interesting. Him and Paratore, like in six nines, are people that have got a bank of history and course form that you could probably lean on a bit if you like that thing. Yeah, Paratore, uh, 22nd last week at the 
Czech Masters isn't bad uh, walking in. I mean, John Axelson had a really, really good stretch of golf. Um, and I don't want to say that golf has, you know, uh, completely fallen off um, because he did make the cut last week at the Czech Masters overall. Um, he just hasn't really fired with irons, which I would like to see more. Um, you know, maybe you see people click Affy Barnrat at 6,900. Somebody, I mean, like I said, I, I mentioned the two guys that I, I see quite a bit in down the board. It's just, you just have to, I mean, it's true risks in this. End. Like like Dale Whitnell won, right, the Scandinavian mix by a mile um, not that long ago, and then just absolutely nothing since. Like, you're hoping to find that type of spike. Do, do any of these guys catch your eye? So I like JC Ritchie. Uh, I think that he is someone I mentioned yesterday. I think he, he hit his irons really well yesterday. So I like him at, was he, 6'8"? I mean, Ollie Wilson was playing good golf for a decent stretch. Um, I was waiting for that because he's the one. I think I think he could be uh, on some radar. I didn't like that he missed it last week, but man. Um, but he's not this guy. Like, he's he's always had a problem driving. Like yeah, and I know he's tidied it up, which is what's kind of allowed him. But he's still never been the longest hitter, and I think by his own admission, like he's chased that a little bit. Um, but he's just consistent here. Like he's got two top fives. He's got a twenty-third place finish, and even. Over the last four or five starts where he wouldn't have always been in good form, 58, 48, 21st, 44th, suggests that he's going to get you through a cut. Uh, 64 in the second round last year, three um, three straight rounds of sub-70 the year before that. I think Wilson can offer a little bit of security at 6-7. It's hard just to click, I guess, versus what we saw at a Bestling last week, right? I mean, we we mentioned Bestling potentially even being a selection um, and an outright 14th. I mean, he's yep. also, like, that's the week you got to find him on a spike, right? He had been zero top 20 times, yeah. I guess top 20 since February. Um, so I guess you just got to look at Bestling at those type of tracks. Rasso Kaima was the last one he did that, and that was another one which is big driver. I guess if I think I could take a shot on Bakum, I do not want to, you know, give up on Freddie Scott, who played exceptionally well last week. He just had a, a tough end to Saturday and didn't get going on Sunday. But a 14th and 12th in the last two PGA Tour or DP World Tour events, I guess last three DP World Tour events, he has three consecutive top 15 finishes, and you can get him at $6,700. He would be the one um, that I'm, I'm pretty intrigued at. Yep. No, I like that. I think. Yeah, I don't know that much, but I know shots someone that you've talked about quite a lot. I don't know that much about him to really kind of pin, but like you said, it's what is it? It's not it's not even just the three in the last five. He's got another one going back to the Porsche European Open, the fourteenth as well. So he's got what, four in the last nine events or whatever, a top fifteen. Like it's you're gonna be hard pushed to find someone in that kind of form down here. Um I think you're gonna see people just go to names they know like Cabrera Bello and, and things like that, and not necessarily offering you too much. Uh, in terms of upside at these, this point in their careers. So, yeah, I'm fine with that. Um, at this point of go, careers, do you click on Miguel Angel Jimenez? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can, you can. Like, he's the oldest ever DP World Tour winner, and he did it here. So he was 46. Uh, he missed the cut last year, but 73-69 is not dreadful. 23rd and 27th before that. Is he even playing well enough? I mean, he had a second. What did he have? Where was that? The Champions Tour Boeing Classic. Like, yeah. he doesn't even come back now and play this, though, does he? Like, he used to kind of come back semi-regularly and play these events. But 
I mean, look, he's, he's going to be the person that cares the least on the golf course. And it depends how you want to, to frame that. Is that going to free him up and let him go and shoot eight under and finish 25th for you? Or um, is he just not going to care and miss the cut, drink some wine? He definitely could do it he's all. Definitely going to do. Time. He's definitely going to drink the wine. Like that's not that's not a debate. Um, yeah, I think you go to your guys that you, that you mentioned on the on the betting show last night. Like I think it's, it's the Manu Candas, it's the Pedro Figueiredo, um, particularly like Figueiredo. I think he I think he's a good pick here. Um, and there's just not like much recent form when you look at it overall, right? That's like even if you wanted to find a pop, I think Scott for sure is the one of the bunch in that range. Um, I mean, I, the one that like from a so the only reason this guy like showed up on my list was uh, I wanted to see how good Todd Clements putted on Sunday. We haven't talked about Todd Clements the last two days. Yeah. Unbelievable performance. Yeah. Like world and un- back to back two players of not one that just go and put in unbelievable yep. performances. Like it's great to see. Yeah, absolutely. No, big, big fan. I'm happy for him. Uh, but I looked to see who putted better on Sunday than Clements because he was second. And it was Ricardo Santos. Yeah, who so has now like, come like in. It's just putting driven, right? His form. But so, he's the one that pulls up on that Swiss challenge. He's won it. Yeah. So if you look at 31st, 11th, 23rd um, for, for him here, what's his form? Made the cut last year. I think you could do worse at $6,300 than I guess him and Figurito, you know, together there, 63s. Um, I'm a little hurt. I'm a little hurt that I don't see any, um, any like amateurs that really fit the bill for me. You have, you have, I got a tweet right away from, from our boy AD um, in regards to there's two Max Schleschling and Sturza this week. Um, but just overall, not a much uh, out of their their AM careers. The best one is probably uh, Gerhardson, um, and even so, I mean, he was 33rd at the Amateur Championship recently. He won a couple uh, AM events earlier in the year. Uh, he's 67th, I think, in the Wagger. Um, so not a ton that I felt like compelled to to be on. I mean, there's upside always than like a Christopher Bring type who had like a, a strong Barbasol recently, but it, it is tough clicks down here. What about Levy? Yeah, he, he, he's, I, I think we're the two cuts. people that talk about Alexander Levy more than probably than his own family do at this stage of his career. Um, <laughs> but I just, was it six, seven cuts in a row now that he's made? And when you look yep. at his course form, it's very patchy, but he's got an 18th and a 32nd in his last five starts. 15th going into that final round when he was 32nd. So he was actually ninth for the halfway point when he finished 56th as well. So you've got 18th when he was 11th going into the final round, 56th when he was ninth for the halfway, and 32nd when he was 15th going into the final round. His missed cut 71, 70, 74, 72. So he does have some kind of pretty grim missed cuts, but just that kind of form that he's got with, what is it? I mean, six, seven events in a row. Uh, the Czech Masters adding to it last week. Um, I think he's someone that can get you through the cut because he was yeah. he was decently positioned. He was 30th going into the final round. Like if if Levy finished 20th last week, I think he gets picked. And yep. look, he was two shots off of doing that going into the final round. Yep, 
totally agree. Um, the other one, uh, Jens Dantorp came off a third, the Barracuda, um, and a 31st last week uh, with the Czech Masters. So Dantorp could be somebody. Made a cut here in the past. John Perry popped a couple weeks prior, but I mean, it is, it's tough. I guess um, Scribner withdrew last week. He's somebody that like, I was a little surprised. We just haven't seen him. He made both the PGA cuts last, um, last, I guess, month in July. Um, So, you know, he had a really good start to his 2023. Um, But man, it's, it, it gets thin fairly down here. I would agree. Geo Seagrest is 6,500. He finished 62nd at the Bindam International Open, 35th at Himaland, where he's 11th going into the final round, and 27th at the ISPS Hander, where he was 9th going into the weekend. One appearance here, he finished 18th, and he was uh, second after round one, the 63. So he's of Pinterest. Two yep. Frenchmen here, him and Levy. There we go. Uh, I'm just trying to see if I see... Look at current form. If there's anything on the smaller tours that we're really missing, I don't believe. So. I don't think there is. I think normally these kind of things flash up to us before the betting show, right? Like I think we would have seen them. Um, yeah. I mean, it's definitely been some conversations. Dion Germaheis um, had a really good Friday, even though he missed a cut. He had like a like one of the like best rounds in the field um, that week. Uh, yeah. yeah. He's not even been playing well in South Africa, though, which which can no. always concerns me when he goes back and doesn't do that. Oh, here was one golfer we didn't mention that I thought. Um, 6,800, Max Schmidt. Max Schmidt, two good weeks back-to-back on the DP World Tour, 12th and a 4th, uh, after relatively nothing in, in a year. Uh, he had a good challenge tour a year, but 6,800 for that, that form seemed... Uh, pretty decent. Well, look, he was another one that was sixth going into the final round of the BMW International Open, finished 18th, what was it, eight, ten weeks ago, 42nd at the British Challenge, as you mentioned there, 12th and 4th for the last two weeks, 39th and 59th. I'm getting for a cut. That's that's what you're looking for down here. So, yeah, don't mind that one at all either. I think we've probably maxed out the guys that yeah. we have any confidence in because otherwise you're just na- you are just naming the names that are down here which and saying yeah. one thing on them um i think that we've we've covered anyone that i think can really um offer anything of any note uh i'm just gonna look at kilton uh, like soren kilton hasn't even got a good course form here i just thought like he's he's a name that's flashed up a few times as a veteran that could play well here but he's not got the greatest course form so uh out on him all right. Yeah, I think we can put a bow on it. What I would say is um, let's do what Tambo and, and Pat do on, on play the best plays if we make a lineup to, to close ourselves out here um, and fill in. So who would be your first click of play the best plays? Uh, Fitz? Yeah, I, I think it has to be Fitz for me too. Um, so he would be the first one in. Hmm. You like so, Eduardo Molinari a lot. Yep, definitely. So I think he could be a fair one. I'd be curious the type of it. I like Dumont de Chassart a ton. So he's in. So we've got Fitz, Dumont de Chassart, Eduardo Molinari. These are 7-5 on average. Yep. Um, um, I think that we – do we put Kimsey in? That would be probably the next selection for me too, and that gets us now 72-50. The only problem that we're setting ourselves up for is – it's not like we feel incredibly confident in 
the the sevens, right? Like if I'm thinking of like play, like I, I I of course think highly of some of my guys, but I know it's speculative. I, I like I like Eduardo Malarian's seam. I think that gives you some decent some decent coverage in that seven k, and it leaves you sixty seven hundred to take a shot, which gives you Wilson Besseling shot Levy. Yeah, shot shot seems like a good selection there. Shot. Um, so you've got. Fitz, Demonte Chassard, Kimsey, Molinari, shot, seam. And if you didn't go with Fitz, if you went with, say, Jordan Smith or, or Rosner, you're yeah. now in that, you know, 8, 8K range, pretty much, that you could be low 8s, where you could easily be, you know, getting into Ken Holt, if you felt okay about Ken Holt, or, or high 7 if you had to adjust there. So a lot of options. Um lot of room still in the contest so you know I, I i think there was high hopes by DraftKings, and i love seeing it but even though it is tuesday um there is time to still enter these contests we could use the big support um to fill it to hopefully have another big week for the irish open um next week but that puts a bow on everything i got tom you got any more just just one more like just if we start with Smith and Demont Dichessart, put Paul in, you've got Hillier, Kinhole, and it leaves you 7 2. Yeah. So you can have Zanotti, Backham, Sharma. Yeah. So that's another way to play it. I think those are the two decent approaches that I like is either leave yourself one guy that you take a shot on with, take a shot with shot, or Wilson um, at 6,700 and, and take that kind of um, two player approach at the top, or do that a little bit more balanced. But I don't think you necessarily need to get too caught up in the 8Ks. I think that's one thing I would that would be my closing statement this week. Yep, yep, I can agree with you there. Um, but that puts a, a wrap on it for this week. Uh, a two-parter DFS preview along with the betting preview you can find on all the platforms for us on Mayo Media Network. But Tom, uh, really appreciate all the time and effort you put in this week, man. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. It's, uh, it's nice to talk to you as always. It's nice to do it twice in a week. So um, a couple of longer shows for us, which is which is rare. So um, just shows what we think of this week. And, and hopefully we can all rally around, make it a big week and, um, you know, look forward to some more of this going into the, uh, the end of the DP World Tour season. Yep. 100 percent. Awesome. Good luck, everybody. Somebody take down that six figure prize. There's plenty of good ones out there. So good luck. Hit us up. You can find me at, at Skyhook DFS or at Tom Jacobs 93 um, for us there. So please reach out. We'd love to answer any more questions um, and good luck. Take it down.